check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Welcome, one and all, to the Gridiron Heroics Football Show. My name is Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And today I have an awesome show for you. We have a bunch of segments we've never done before. First of all, I'm going to introduce Ben Bosher, and we're going to talk about the first episode of Detroit Lions Hard Knocks. After that, I'm going to have Brian McLaughlin on, and we're going to talk about the FCS, a little college football action for you finally. Then we're going to do some game recaps from preseason week one with Dave and Eric, and we're going to close it out with some big performers and injuries from over the weekend with Kyron Samuels. So, First and foremost, I have Ben with me today to talk about the Detroit Lions and Hard Knocks. Okay, this is this is a fun Hard Knocks. You know, it's been a while since we've had such a good one, so I'm looking forward to going over it. Ben, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. I I obviously have watched the Hard Knocks episode, and I've I've loved it from a fan and from a writing standpoint because there's just so much content being put out by HBO for other writers to write about, and I think it's been phenomenal um obviously like you said the last couple of years have been like like obviously any any hard knocks is going to be great because it gets us right into football but I don't know between the Cowboys I, I didn't love the Cowboys one last year um just because it, it just there was a lack of characters I thought but now you get into this and they just boom throw Dan Campbell right at you and <laughs> this, this is just going to be awesome because I don't remember the last hard knocks where it was really emphasized around the coaching staff um, but mm-hmm. you have such a unique group of uh, former players and coaches that I think this is going to be so interesting and I can't wait for it to develop a little bit more. Yeah. So, you know, over the past few years, we've had the Rams, we've had the Chargers, we had uh, the Cowboys, like you said, we've had the Bengals along the way. Uh, you know, I've watched all of them, but there are definitely seasons where by the time you're getting to the fourth, fifth episode, like, I'm not necessarily that interested in watching. The first episode's always fun because we're getting mm-hmm. back into football. It's a glimpse behind the curtain. There's always somebody that you're interested to see. But not every season captivates you and takes you along for the ride. You know, I, so as a Jets fan, obviously, I'm probably a little biased towards this. But that 2010 Hard Knocks with Rex Ryan and Antonio Cromartie and the whole Revis negotiation, like, that was probably the last really compelling hard knock season that I can remember. And I've watched pretty much all of them along the way. You know, what's funny when it was, when it was down to the jets and the lions as the, the last couple that could potentially be forced to do it this year, I was hoping for the jets and I don't even not necessarily to watch the jets, but we've already seen Jared Goff so much on hard knocks. because. <laughs> <laughs> We, we saw Jared Goff on Hard Knocks in his rookie year. We also saw him on All or Nothing when they did the Amazon uh, series in his uh, rookie year. So we, we got him back to back. And that was kind of brutal because nothing against Jared Goff, but he's not exactly, you know, uh, a fascinating listen. Then we oh. got him again when they had the joint uh, Rams and Chargers Hard Knocks. Uh-huh. Now we have him again. I was like, I don't want to. I don't want to see Jared Goff. But fortunately... There's enough going on with the coaching staff and the other players that it looks like, I mean, sure, we'll get him at some point, but it looks like there's enough that they won't have to focus on him. So why don't you talk about some of your favorite moments from episode one? Well, yeah, first, 
of the Jared Goff thing, I think it kind of is fitting because in the first Rams one, I'm he was that was his rookie season, right? Yeah. So he was kind of like the the big star, if you if you will, uh, with the show. But now now that we know what Jared Goff is, I think I don't know if Hart. Obviously, he's going to be there eventually, and he'll get some interviews. But like, you see him in the first episode a couple times, but like they don't formally introduce him. I think that's kind of the way they'll probably do it because. We know we know who he is at this point. Like uh, he's he succeeds when there's better players around him and when there's stars around him. And I think that's probably what Hard Knocks is going to do: try to keep the stars as the stars, and Jared Goff just do his thing on the side because that's that's where Goff succeeds the most. You know? <laughs> yeah. But um, some of my favorite parts. I mean, obviously, uh, Aiden Hutchinson singing Michael <laughs> Jackson was uh, national treasure. Um, I really liked the between the offensive or not the offense coordinator the running backs coach uh ben johnson and Mm -hmm. aaron glenn the defensive coordinator just their feuding and beefing was awesome on the court it's like they're brothers like just yelling at each other trying to get the best bragging rights but you know they love each other as soon as they're off the court or off the field sorry a lot of a lot of good parts one thing i thought was kind of weird was the i wrote about this the guardian caps they they talked about those for a really long time for some reason and I feel like looking back, like looking back at the Raiders one, it feels like they always like somehow are able to sneak in like something about the helmets. And I think that's kind of yeah. weird. Cause- well, you know, I mean, when you're looking at, at the player safety, it's like such a, a, a push by the NFL yeah. to change the narrative, you know, because they there was the whole lawsuit a few years back about how much they knew about concussions and how dangerous they were and how they didn't do enough to to inform players or even hide their findings mm-hmm. um, I don't remember every detail but they that was a pretty big PR hit for them so yeah. they have been on a mission for the past like five six seven years to really turn that around and I think you know hard knocks is kind of a, a stage for them to do that so I'm not surprised I actually wrote in my article I'm looking at it right now my guess is the NFL wanted everyone to see how they keep their players safe because let's be honest the NFL needs some good PR right now that was <laughs> yeah. that was my exact words but some of the other parts I liked were you know everyone looks at this Detroit team as I mean they said it a thousand times like the grit that this team has and the toughness and the blue collar Detroit mentality that they bring but then there was like four different players or and coaches that like cried during the episode which I thought was like awesome because like they're looked at as these tough guys, but, and then you peel back a little bit and they're all super comfortable with each other to show these emotions. Cause they care like that Jamal Williams speech in the huddle. Like that had me ready to run through a wall and I haven't played football in five, six years. And it, it's just really cool to see all these, these teammates and how much they care about winning and how much last year really did hurt them because everyone knows the lions only had three wins last year, but they were, I mean, they were competitive down to the last snap every single game. And it sounds so cliche to say for a team that only has three wins, but it was real. Like they did compete every single week. And I think a lot more wins, I'm not going to say they're going to be the best team in the NFL by any means, but I think a lot more wins are going to fall in favor of them now that they have a little bit more experience and Campbell and the coaching staff have a little bit more experience too, because I mean, there, there was some times last year where we just wouldn't execute situational football at the end of the year. Um, but I think that's kind of the emphasis on the show as well, to show that the coaches have a little bit more experience now because they even talked about it, the combined 80 years experience uh, in the NFL between the coaching staffs, whether it's 
as a player or a coach. But I think they were all still trying to figure it out last year because, you know, Dan Campbell got hired before he was ever an offense or defensive coordinator. He was a mm-hmm. tight ends coach with the Saints. Um, but now he's figuring it out and he's he's super raw. He is who he is and he's not afraid to to show that to everyone. And I think Hard Knocks is doing a really good job at that too. Yeah, you know, so when when you're talking about being competitive but losing games, look, I, the Jets won four games. I would rather have been competitive in most of them and won three than get blown out in most of them and somehow win four. Trust me, I would have rather had your season. I'm not, I'm not kidding. So as far as the coaching staff, yeah, I mean, they have a, an incredible amount of experience as players. I don't think that there's any team in the NFL that has coaching staff that's loaded with as many long-term former players. I mean, you can find former players littered around the league, but most of them were not decade-long veterans. You know, like a lot of them, they bounced around a little bit. You know, a lot of them were guys who maybe had slightly limited athleticism, but they were really hard workers, didn't pan out in the league, but picked up a lot along the way in terms of knowledge and were able to, to transition into coaching jobs as a result. Lions are different. They really are. I mean, Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator. I mean, um, Antoine Randall L as receivers coach. Um, who else did you have there? There was a bunch of guys. Um, obviously, Dan Campbell played tight end forever. I mean, he even played in Detroit, obviously. Yeah. Yep. And he, he's, it's a unique staff. It really is. So I totally agree with you with the Jamal uh, Williams speech. That was great. But so, you know what made me laugh like right off the bat was the Dan Campbell introductory speech <laughs> for the meeting. Yeah. That cracked me up. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you look at at the speeches by head coaches at the introductory meeting uh, that they always show on Hard Knocks. You can go all the way back to the Baltimore Ravens. Most of them were nothing like this. I mean, Dan Campbell got to the no. point of, of <laughs> comparing playing on the field to drowning your opponent in the open water. <laughs> like he got so graphic. <laughs> I don't even know. Sometimes I just think he starts going and has no idea where yeah. it's going. And I love it. Yeah. I love it. I agree. I think, I think a lot of it's just on the fly because when you give those speeches like that in the huddle, like you are psyching up the players for what is literally about to happen. You know what I mean? So sometimes it doesn't matter yeah, where you go. War. You just, you just say whatever's there, like kind of like Jamal Williams did. But like when you're the coach standing in front of the entire uh, entire team and you're not in a huddle about to go onto the field and play and you're just standing in front of a lecture hall and then you go from that to, OK, that's it. Like everybody go like it, it just it cracked me up. Yeah. It almost feels like they're treating every game, not so much as a game, but like as a war, like they are going in prepared to like almost die because you keep on hearing Campbell say like we get knocked down we're getting right back up and I think it's ironic that he said that and then they went into the down ups thing or the mm-hmm. up downs thing um I think that was pretty good editing right there <laughs> um to put that right next to it but you you see him doing these and he's just doing all four of these uh up downs that he got on like for like two minutes and then he explains that you know he almost he thought he broke his wrist and was worried about if he was going to be able to do the up downs and I think what makes him such an interesting coach is that he is totally prepared to go to war with his Mm -hmm. players like I think you can see it in 
his eyes and you can hear it in his voice that he wants to be out. Oh yeah. Point. They all do. That's the funny thing about it. Like you can yeah. see every single one of them is like frustrated that they can't do it anymore and that they just want to mm-hmm. play like cuz there's really no reason for for Dan Campbell to do up downs, right? Like I, I mean no. I guarantee you that most Super Bowl champions over the past 60 years didn't have coaches doing up downs with the players, right? Like it's it's not like no. this thing that has to happen for you to have a good season. But in his mind, he has to. In his mind, he just desperately wants to. So that that was another really fun Dan Campbell moment for sure. Yeah, I, I, I'm I loving it. I think they'll probably focus the most on Campbell and the coaching staff over anybody because there's still some players that we didn't get to see. I think Hutchinson and Jamal were the, really the only ones they like formal, formerly introduced. Like I'm sure we'll see Goff. I would like to see Jamal or Jamo at some point. And a couple other players, I don't know, like uh, Ali McNeil would be nice to see on the defensive line, just in a guy who's in a, entering a second season who's looking for a breakout year. Uh, DJ Chark just brought him in. I think that'd be fun. Um, I want to see some more of this offensive line too, like Penne Soul. And um, we got a little bit of the offensive line at the end. I think it was Frank Rag. No, I think it was Taylor Decker who's talking in like one of those post-credit scenes. Um, mm-hmm. But this is going to be one of the, like the top five offensive lines um, in the league if Panay Sol can take that next big leap. And uh, so I'd like to see a little bit more from them, um, just because the offensive line is always an interesting group of people. Yeah, the you know the offensive line is always good for a few uh, a few a few good hard knocks clips, and yeah. and the, this that's really the identity of the Lions' offense at this point. You know they've added some more pieces. DeAndre Swift is a playmaker. And they brought in Jameson Williams. We won't necessarily see him a ton right away in in the season. But I think the identity of the Lions, especially on offense, really is based around its offensive line and their ability to potentially dominate. So seeing more from them would be really cool. We got a little glimpse of Penny Sewell, but it was really more of as a contrast to Aiden Hutchinson. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. I mean, you know, the cool thing about Aiden Hutchinson in this episode was no, he he was a terrible singer. Yeah, he was, he was awful. <laughs> but but he absolutely owned the performance. You know what I mean? And you yeah. see in that moment, you see one of the things that people talked about him so much in the draft process leading up, like the his ability to to lead the team, to inspire them. Like it seems like such a little thing, but the way that they all got into it with him, the way that he commanded the performance even even after it is yeah. uh, initial uh moment there but um that that was cool to watch you know like, it was cool to see that the entire team really went along for the ride with him on that one and i i like you said like uh we really do need hutch to be the leader of the defense because there's that's where the team really lacks like a lot of star players i guess tracy walker is like technically our best defensive player but I mean, typically your safety is not your like emotional leader. And I don't hear too much stuff about like Tracy Walker being that guy out of camp or like in his tenure with the Lions. And obviously our linebacking core is just kind of eh, like that's a big hole. But yeah, like if we could have one of these guys that comes in like Hutchinson and just is immediately like this big leader, this big time leader has a breakout rookie season. And everyone's just kind of looking to him as to what to do. I think that'd be awesome for the defense because there isn't really a guy like that on that side of the ball for the Lions. 
I, I'm curious to see who they they feature as we go forward. There's uh, five episodes total. We're going to have you back on next Monday to recap episode two. Then we're going to kind of let episodes two, uh, three, four, and five uh, collect, and then we'll have you on again to hit all three of them the day after the finale airs. And we'll talk about everything that happened in that one. So I'm not sure exactly what the final takeaway from Lions Hard Knocks is going to be. You know, there's always like one main storyline that we identify with looking back. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to see what that is. The chances are that it might have something to do with Dan Campbell. So, you know, hopefully it's more inspirational and there isn't anything that's that's too funny. But um, Ben, thanks for coming on. I really do appreciate it. Uh, before I let you go, I want to give you the chance to tell everybody where they can find you on your social media and where they can find your written work. Yeah, uh, if you go to gridironheroics.com, uh, just search Ben Bosher. All my articles will come up. It's primarily, or I mean, I guess it's all about the Detroit Lions. Um, follow me on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, just type in Ben Bosher, or I think Twitter is Bosher Ben. Um, you'll see a whole bunch of stuff about the Lions, whether I'm between news or if I'm just mad at them, which happens just as much as me <laughs> tweeting news about them and any other sport, you might find um, some stuff on there. So thanks for having me on, Max. I appreciate it. But I, I did have a question for you, if that's okay. For me? Okay, what's that? How are you holding up with this Zach Wilson news looming over everything <laughs> right now? Because it seems like he's fine, but it doesn't seem like they know 100%. Uh, I'm, I'm all right. I mean, it was definitely <laughs> depressing when it first happened because – you just don't know the severity. It looks like so he has a he has a bone bruise and a torn meniscus, but both the bone bruise and meniscus tear are minor. So the meniscus it does need surgery, but only a trim as opposed to a full repair, which means he could be back. I think the general prognosis for like or expected return timeline for something like that would even be four to six weeks. But the fact that they put out two to four weeks probably is partially due to optimism, but also is a clear indication that neither are particularly bad. So, yeah, main thing is just to to, you know, not re-injure it. Take time to bring him back, you know, because, again, I, everyone's optimistic about the Jets season, but I don't think anyone's trying to say they're going to win the Super Bowl. No. So I would rather have him miss weeks one, two or even three and make sure he's fully healthy than try and rush him back to compete. That's my preference. So I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. That's how I feel about Jamison Williams. Just keep him out until he's ready to come back. Yeah, I'm not sure what the point is. but All right, Ben, thanks so much, and we'll see you again next week. Thank you, Max. All right, I am so pleased to introduce a brand new guest. Now, he works with gridironheroics.com, of course. He is the coordinator for FCS content, Brian McLaughlin. He has a podcast called BMAC and the Knock covering FCS. It should start back up this fall. And he has been covering college football for about 15 years. So we have some real experience here. Brian, how are you doing today? Doing great, Max. I appreciate you saying all that. And uh, <laughs> look forward to uh, growing something new with you and, and all these awesome people that are, I mean, have you ever seen enthusiasm like this, man? It's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, no, I really haven't. And I talked about this in the very first episode that we did, but just the energy around Gridiron Heroics has been pretty cool. And it's what inspired me to start the podcast to begin with, because I just saw how many people wanted to be a part of the site, wanted to be a part of 
the multimedia side of things. It's it's good vibes all around, man. It it is. So I had to have you on. I promised the people that we were not going to exclusively talk about the NFL. And pretty much all we've talked about is the NFL so far. So I wanted to bring you on and talk about FCS because, you know, as Robin said in the first episode, that is a pretty unique thing that we have going on with the site. I think we have some of the coolest FCS coverage around. I mean, I don't see it centralized quite like that in many other places. So you're the guy for that. That means you're the guy to talk to. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about what the FCS looks like this year? Oh, man. Well, the FCS is uh, it's a cool level, man. And and this is this is uh, the thing whenever I'm meeting somebody or, or doing a, a, you know, a podcast or a radio show or an interview I always throw out there is it's it's like um, like I used to cover high school sports. OK, you know, at, at the newspaper level back when print media existed, it reminds me of doing high school football and yet it's division one college football with crowds that could have, you know, if you're at the Bayou classic, you know, uh, in the HBCU level, they may have 70,000 people there. Um, Mm -hmm. when I've covered the national championship in Frisco, uh, we routinely, especially when North Dakota state and James Madison are included, we routinely packed that house and it was a mad house. It outdrew the bowl game there every year, you know, and and peaked at about twenty five thousand. So, okay, yeah, it's not the SEC from the standpoint of attendance, <laughs> but you're not going to find a seat when you go to the big ones, you know. And it's a really diverse level. So on one end, you know, you have teams that can beat a P five in September. Uh, you know, the teams in the Missouri Valley Conference, we've seen it left and right. On the other end, yeah, there's some smaller schools. There's some non-scholarship schools in the Pioneer League. We've got the Ivy League, which they were winning national title games and going to Rose Bowls 100 years ago. You know, we've got the (laughs) HBCU level, which was a big part of creating the FCS and the 1AA level back in the 70s, late 70s. So it's just this amazing mixture of programs and it's a big 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 us against the world vibe that you get from this level they're very open-minded the kids are so stoked to be playing d1 ball from a journalist standpoint you can talk to pretty much anybody you want they welcome the exposure so it's just a million cool things about it and then on top of it i mean you and i and everybody else has seen it They've had NFL draft picks coming out of this level for years. Oh, yeah. So it, it, it's just a I, – I know this sounds idealistic, but it, it, it reminds me of, like, maybe what you kind of wish college football was or, or could be, you know, as opposed to some of the things that we see that we don't like sometimes about, like, Power 5 football. You know, I mm-hmm. don't know if that – that's a long, rambling answer, and I'm notoriously bad about that, but – <laughs> that's uh <laughs> that's that's how i see fcs and yeah it looks like another great year it does well yeah look i mean fcs is incredibly talented when it comes to the players that yeah. that participate in it you know and yeah not every single one of them is gonna jump out of the gym they're not necessarily all gonna jump a, a 40 inch vertical you know but you see guys that are hitting four three forties you see guys oh, who are yeah. hitting four twos uh, these guys are incredibly athletic and 
the competitive level, it's it. I think that it offers a little bit more parity, right, uh -huh. between the colleges that actually play. So it's not that you never see a blowout, but I think I think you can go into those games with a little bit more, you know, question as to who's actually going to come out on top a lot of the time. So that, yeah. that being said, why don't you hit me with some of the teams that you think are kind of poised to have really big years this year? Okay, uh, well let's let's start with North Dakota State, who hasn't lost to an FBS opponent since uh, 2009. So you know, think about that. Although that encompasses Max, a lot of teams that lack the Coyotes to actually schedule North Dakota State. <laughs> uh, let's see, my top yeah. five. Uh, let's see, North Dakota State's <laughs> first string, North Dakota State's second string. I'll put them at number two. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like that this year. But NDSU is very strong again. Uh, they build starting with the line of scrimmage, which is old school blue collar Midwest style. You know, it's the way those old Nebraska teams were built. That's their bread and butter. Those are the kids they can get from the Dakotas and Nebraska and the farms of Minnesota and, and Iowa, you name it. And then they're so good nationally that they can come down to my neck of the woods down here in Florida, Tampa, Florida, and they recruit the I-4 corridor as well as anybody. And that is a talent-rich area. So North Dakota State is clearly the front runner. I think they've only lost one national title year. They were knocked out in the semis by JMU uh, back in uh, 2016. They've dominated. Um, I'm not saying nobody's been close. And they've been beaten sometimes uh, – you know, by schools like South Dakota State, teams that are kind of built like them. But in general, they dominate. Um, the Montana schools are both very good. This year, uh, Montana State went to the national title game with a freshman quarterback last year. And unlike a lot of schools, uh, nobody has stolen Tommy Malat yet. And that kid was phenomenal down the stretch, but then got injured, if uh, people remember, in the very early in the first quarter, and it just changed the trajectory of that national title game with NDSU but Tommy's back you know there's the usual suspect South Dakota State has been good for five years 10 years you know you name it they've been the most recent team to beat NDSU m more than once and those games are always good in the Missouri Valley Conference you know there's big sky conference teams like the Montana schools Eastern Washington home of Cooper Cup uh, they're usually pretty good. They won 10 games last year. Uh, the Big Sky Conference and the Missouri Valley are the two that I'm looking at thinking, I bet you our semifinalists probably come from these two places. You know, a lot of schools have moved on to the FBS ranks. James Madison's the headliner on that. They've been as good, just about as good as North Dakota State. Jacksonville State and Sam Houston State have been to national title games. In the last seven or eight years, they both have decided to move up. If you want to call it up, uh, in some instances, <laughs> I call it sideways. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, man. I mean, when I look at the Sunbelt Conference and the MAC, and I look at the Missouri Valley in the FCS ranks, I'm not seeing a whole hell of a lot of difference, man. Uh, the, to me, they're very comparable, and the numbers prove it when they play these teams. So it's good football, the, the teams that are at the top, uh, really look good this year. And the big question every year for the last decade plus has been um, who's going to challenge NDSU. And I think there's some good candidates. 
So if you were to give me one or two, even if you if you got them handy, of the yeah. best FCS matchups that you have on the schedule this year, I know you've looked forward, and I know you you have at least a couple marked down. Oh yeah, the biggest yeah. games. What, what do you think is going to headline that? Well, the Dakota Marker game has been traditionally one of the best. In fact, the Dakota Marker game is contested annually between North Dakota State and South Dakota State. And it's named after the Dakota markers that were put at every one-mile increment to separate the Dakota territory back when they became states. So it's kind of a cool trophy. It's a big old chunk of granite, I think. <laughs> it's kind of heavy. I remember Dallas Goddard trying to lift it. You know, here he's this big NFL draft pick you know, right before the Eagles took him. And he's like, geez, this thing's heavy, you know. Uh, that's going to be, well, let's put it this way. What was it, three years ago? ESPN College Game Day went to that game, and it was in Brookings, South Dakota. Uh, that game was really, really good until the end, and NDSU just wore them down. That game is good every year. You got to start with that one because I think you're looking at two of the best four teams. There's also the Brawl of the Wild. See how these games have names. You know, Montana, yeah. Montana State in recent years has – it's always the final game of the regular season for those two schools. And guess what? There's always something major on the line. It's not necessarily whether these teams are going to make the playoffs. That's a foregone conclusion by then. The question mm -hmm. is usually, is are, are they going to get a home field advantage through the first two rounds? Will they avoid North Dakota State until the very end? Um, and a lot of times, those questions get answered by who wins that game. So, those, the, you know, those two jump off the page of games that have FCS schools going against each other and then you always have those those P5 matchups where you know I mean I just I mean it's anecdotal but last year Northern Arizona for instance out of the Big Sky wasn't even that strong in its own conference I mean they they went five and six but they beat the Arizona Wildcats I mean, think about that. They hadn't beaten them in like 80 years since they were a teacher's college. And they knock them off, <laughs> you know, in uh, in uh, what, Tucson. So it's just, you know, there, there's the, the, the P5 matchups are always interesting. Then you have these big historical rivalries that have names for the actual game. And there's a ton of them like that. You know, like I said, the Southern class, the Bayou Classic and the HBCUs out of the SWAC. Uh, you know, there's there's HBCU classics that are huge. Um, draw well, the bands are amazing, you know. So there's a bunch of big ones to look forward to this year. Yeah, you know, great for competitive football if that's just the way that you want to approach it. But it also, a lot of times, is an opportunity for those potential draft picks to show off yeah. what they can do against the premier talent, you know whether it's the other top FCS schools or playing against the power five teams, you know, and, and honestly, power five is so it, it's, it's a, a funny name because at this point it's not really power five anymore. Right. Like yeah. we could probably whittle down without looking right at the list of teams right now. You could probably, probably cut off almost half of all power five teams that oh, yeah. and consider them to not really be in the, the same class as those other power five teams. So, yeah, I, I absolutely agree that some of those games are really tremendous. And I think when you do start to have high draft picks coming yeah. out of some of those schools, I mean, 
like we don't have to look any further than Trey Lance. I mean, yeah. for him to be the third overall pick, that does a lot for the prestige of the organization. And like you said, they do a good job of recruiting some seriously talented guys. And that only helps because they can say, look, no, we're not Alabama. You're not going to Alabama, but you're probably going to have a better chance to start. You're going to be able to put up some pretty ridiculous stats, and it's not going to take away the opportunity for you to be drafted high if you put in the work and you and you show up. So I, I'm interested to see how that develops as time goes on because as we do develop some of these super conferences, the, the rest of the Power Five conferences, they may start to change that dynamic as well we may some see some movement you know because if it if it become i mean look the best power five schools they're always going to want a few teams to beat up on oh yeah intermixed with those those really big ticket games so i don't know if they'll want to send them all out but you know there there's going to be changes in in terms of who's who are in those big time conferences no doubt look, i don't have a ton a ton of time to 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 talk about fcs today so that'll do it for our conversation and I can't wait to have you on and talk a little bit more about what's going on around the college football landscape. Yeah, man. But until then, Brian, can you let everybody know where they can find you, whether it be social media, your podcast, or any of your written work? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, the best way uh, is Twitter, of course, uh, that that dastardly Twitter. <laughs> um, and my <laughs> handle is uh, at Brian and then M-A-C, like Mac writer brian act uh at brian mac writer and uh, uh a link to the podcast that that i do weekly in season with anthony knockreiner who also is going to write about fcs on gridiron heroics already is uh, hooked up and probably will be kind of our big sky guy because he has a background in montana uh we will be cranking that up in about two weeks and you can find a link to that at the top of my Twitter, uh, at Brian MacRider. So looking forward to working with you too, Max, and seeing where this grows and where it goes. Because I think it's going big, you know, big time. I really do. It's a great, great place. I hope so, man. I really do. And I'm going to let you in on something. We do three episodes a week right now. Sweet. But if all the listeners are good boys and girls and subscribe and download and, and rate and review and all that good stuff, I have sites set on five episodes a week at mm -hmm. some point in the future mm -hmm. and if we do that that just opens up the door for more fcs content more college content it just the more more episodes means more football talk so that's the plan brian thank you so much for being on today i really do appreciate it all right thanks max we'll look forward to doing it again one day absolutely we'll see you soon All right, everyone, I am stoked to jump into our first ever game recap segment. Okay, we're going to talk about four of the games from this past week of preseason. We're going to kind of hone in on some of the major quarterback storylines that we have going on right now, right? We can't hit every single game, and it's the preseason, and I know not everybody is necessarily, you know, locked in on exactly what's happening in NFL preseason week one, but there are some big quarterbacks who saw some action, and I want to talk about what they looked like in their first outing of the season. Okay, so to help me do that, I have two guests, which we have had before, and who will be helping me with the preseason and regular season recaps going forward. First of all, we have Eric Hitch. 
Eric completed a degree in media communications from Delaware Valley University and last year worked with the assistant athletic director. And we have Dave Guberman. Dave completed his master's in sports communication from Syracuse as well as his JD from University of Maryland. So I've got some established fellows here with me. You've heard from both of them before and you'll hear plenty from them going forward. What's up, Eric? How are you doing tonight? I'm not too bad, Max. Thanks for having me on. Midnight here on the East Coast, a little late, but never too late to talk about football. Yeah, man. Well, you know, we're kind of doing a little prep work for the regular season because once the regular season does roll around, we will be recapping the Sunday games for you late at night to be released early Monday morning. So when you get up, you're on your way to work, you can get that fresh recap from the night before. So uh, fortunately, I will admit I'm a little better off. I'm in the central time zone, so you guys have it a little tougher than me, but Sorry about that. Dave, how are you this evening? Yeah, Max. Thanks for having me on again. I do really appreciate it. Um, so a little late on the East Coast, but I'm super excited to talk about some football. I know we just wrapped up week one of the preseason. So even though the results don't matter, um, <laughs> I'm still super excited to kind of get into it, talk about some young prospects and, and kind of wrap up the first week of preseason. It's been a long six months without football, so I'm ready to roll. Why do I feel like you would be more in on the results mattering if the Titans won the other day? <laughs> sure. No, I got you. I got you. I'm just giving you a hard time. Dave is Mr. Intensity. That's his new nickname, and he is definitely the most diehard fan we have on the show. No doubt about it. All right, so we're going to dive into four games today. We have the 49ers and the Packers. We're going to talk a little bit about Trey Lance and Jordan Love and Brock Purdy, too, because actually I felt like he had one of the best days out of any of the quarterbacks for those two teams. We're going to talk about the Jets and the Eagles. We're going to talk about the Titans and the Ravens. And we're going to talk about the uh, Steelers and the Seahawks, all teams with a somewhat unestablished quarterback situation, right? Like some, some definitely do, uh, but some of those guys are young. We want to see how they look in their first outing for the year, right? So first off, let's go to the 49ers and the Packers. So obviously Aaron Rodgers starting quarterback, right? We don't have to talk about that, but everybody does want to know what Jordan Love looks like in his game out. They want to know, is he a guy that could potentially be the heir apparent? My opinion, he had a bit of a rough day. Uh, you know, the interceptions aside, he still didn't have uh, like a, a tremendous, tremendous day, right? So he went 13 of 24 for a 54.2% completion percentage, 176 yards, two touchdowns, and three picks. Even if you were to take two of those picks out of it, that's still only 15 of 24, which is, uh, it's nothing spectacular, right? So one of the one of the interceptions was ripped right out of his receiver's hands. The other was uh, basically tipped up. It was a drop, essentially, and just picked off. One of them was clearly on him. But ultimately, he didn't really look comfortable in the pocket, especially to start. He was trying to roll out a little bit too quickly when he still had ample time to throw. So as far as he goes, it wasn't necessarily the best day, but He's not, he's not getting the reps that Aaron Rodgers is, you know, he's not getting the reps with the first team guys. And I'll, I'll give him a little bit more time. It is year three. You'd hope for more, but you know, it's, it's, I'm not going to condemn his career at this point, but it hasn't been spectacular this past weekend. I will say for the Packers, you know, who is absolutely tremendous. Who's been getting a ton of hype in camp is Romeo dubs. So dubs, was absolutely excellent in this game and he did have a 
deep completion for uh, a deep reception for a touchdown, but he was open more than that. Even though it was the pass to him where the ball got ripped out for an interception, I mean, you know, that's kind of a welcome to the NFL moment. That ball's probably not getting ripped out in college against the competition he was going up against. Um, so I'll, I'll, you know, definitely give him a pass for that. But he he had the deep reception for the touchdown. He was open on another uh, uh, go route. He beat his corner deep, and the ball was just overthrown by Love. So I thought he had a really, really nice day. On the other side, for the 49ers, Trey Lance, you know, again, he didn't have a, a bad stat line when you just look at it with four of five for an 80% completion rate. But ultimately, that does kind of uh, lie a little bit in terms of how he actually looked out there. He didn't have a ton of reps. They had him out there for something around like 10 pass or t- uh, 10 plays, something like that. And he did scramble for a couple of them. The athleticism is on full display. The arm strength is on full display. I mean, like he has an absolute cannon, definitely up there with anybody else. But his accuracy is not quite on point. It's definitely better than we saw it last year in the preseason where the balls were just errant and barely catchable, but looked pretty good overall, um, in, at least if, when you compare it to back then. So it looks like he's honing in his, his technique a little bit, but you, there's, you just you cannot knock what he has going on physically. So if he can continue to progress, especially over the next few weeks of preseason, maybe get rid of some of the nerves, get a few more reps in week two, I'm interested to see uh, what he does. But I got to be honest, man, even though Brock Purdy had a much like lesser stat line, three of six for 36 yards and a touchdown, the way that he navigated the pocket and kept his eyes downfield and threw the ball accurately it was quite impressive. He was the third string quarterback after Nate Sudfeld. But honestly, I felt like he had the best, like, like from the eye test, the best game of any quarterback in the entire game. So I was actually kind of surprised. I was kind of like getting to the end of the game, not super focused, you know, just kind of curious what this guy, Mr. Irrelevant was going to look like stepping in. And I was genuinely impressed. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt based on who he was competing against. But for, uh, you know, that late of a pick, I was, I was impressed. So those are my thoughts on, on the Packers and 49ers. Ultimately, I'm not sure how much you can take away from it, right? We just kind of want to get our toes wet and recapping some of these games, but those are my thoughts. So let's jump over to Eric. Now, Eric, you got to watch the Jets and the Eagles. One quarterback played better than the other. One quarterback took a hit and didn't get hurt, and the other one didn't take a hit and did get hurt. So that's, I don't know if that sums up the game all right, but that that's that was my personal takeaway. What did you take from this game? You know, the Jets, who knows how uh, real a team is. You know, they're still on the uprising. They got the new coach still in second year. So we'll see. The Eagles, I know, however, coming off the playoffs last year with a rookie head coach, essentially pretty much a rookie quarterback as well, even though Hertz was technically in his second year, but only played limited amount of snaps. Uh, you want to see a lot from the Eagles in the preseason. And surprisingly enough, they actually gave the starters uh, a series all of last year. They did not give Hertz a single snap in the preseason. So I was very shocked with that when they named him the starter for that, uh, that game. Uh, and again, I spoke about on the, uh, 
looking looking at the divisions itself, and I was talking from an Eagles perspective, the one thing that you need to see an improvement on from the offensive standpoint is the passing game. And they did just that. They only ran the ball one time their first drive, and Jalen Hurts was six for six. 80 yards, one TD. Should have been two TDs, but one was called back. Uh, he, re- he, th- he rushed him, that in himself, but that was called back due to a holding, I believe it was. And everybody, you know, he looked great. The offense looked great. Uh, another big thing as well was the linebackers. Watching that game, again, linebackers have never been a big priority for the Eagles and Howie Roseman, but a lot of the linebackers came to play uh, against the Jets. And notably one of the signings they had this offseason, Kaiser White from the Chargers, he had an interception and a tackle. So that was great to see. And you also had N'Kobe Dean, who was second team uh, linebackers because their linebacker depth is so good this year. He had four tackles and one assist as well. And he looked like he was just ready to go. I mean, he, he blew up a couple plays, even took out one of the uh, lead blockers and was able to push him back into his own, to his own defender and, or to his own running back and caused him to trip up. So I was really impressed with Nicobe Dean and just going back on that hit as well. That hit was a little scary for sure for Hertz. Definitely a little bit late as well. Um, this is why this is why you see a lot of teams don't play their starters because of stuff stuff like this. Luckily, he wasn't hurt. And like you said, Zach Wilson, non contact and non no contact injury. You always fear the worst with those type of things. And luckily, I think he. Uh, I don't know the exact injury. I, I read it this morning. I can't remember off the top of my head. But I think it's you know going to get it uh, surgically repaired but he shouldn't miss the full season. Uh, if, if I'm wrong on that, you can correct me. But a couple other key players as well that I really thought stood out. Um, Jason Huntley, one of the backup running backs. It's his second year, I believe, in the league. And 16 carries for 48 yards with a touchdown as well. He also averaged 30 yards in the, in the return game. He was the uh, kickoff returner. And Eagles have really struggled the past couple of years with special teams. So I'd like to see that. Had Mike White, the backup, 10 for 20, 98 yards against the secondary or second unit, you know. Okay, you wish you would have six see a touchdown there from White. But again, the Eagles defense did a great job. And I want to end this on one person in particular. The Eagle, I know when the 2022 NFL draft uh, was here. And I remember I was a huge, huge Kyle Hamilton fan. I, I wanted him. We needed a safety. Malcolm Jenkins was gone. Rodney McLeod was getting up there in age, and actually he's no longer here. Wasn't a big ha- fan of Anthony Harris last year. And also Marcus Epps would be taken over, and I was not very not very excited with that, so I thought Kyle Hamilton was the answer. However, when they selected Jordan Davis, I was like, okay, another big body. Maybe, you know, Fletcher. I know Fletcher's time is coming to an end. Uh, let's see what he can do. And I've heard in training camp that he has been just – bulldozing people and even saw they had an open practice the Sunday a week ago actually uh where he was just taking Cam Jurgens the backup center he was just just driving him back at least four or five yards and he did that exact exact thing on a Friday against the Jets I've watched I've watched a few preseason games and I've never seen a lineman get double teamed on every single play especially a rookie you know, you know, maybe maybe Aaron Donald if he would play, which again wouldn't really see him in preseason action, I don't think. But he has that type of potential, that much of a of a game record. I think he can be. He is fast. 
He is strong, and he is something I am really looking forward to seeing this year with his growth. Yeah, you know, the Eagles played pretty well, especially in the beginning of the game. Jordan, I mean, um, Jalen Hurts was he was perfect with his stat line, but honestly, he was perfect with his play as well. I mean, he was forced out of the pocket, scrambled well. He hit a throw downfield on the run that was absolutely gorgeous. I thought, I thought the Jets had him on that particular play. I thought, you know, at worst, uh, you know, he was going to throw the ball down the field, and you know, for, just as a throwaway. But that was a beautiful pass, and then he uh, he he just he looked great. Conversely, Zach Wilson not so much. He had an errant pass to begin with. He had the interception, which looked pretty clearly to me like he just predetermined where he was going with the ball. Didn't even see the linebacker um, there, so that was not really pretty. Uh, cleaned it up a little bit, but didn't have a lot of opportunity as he did go out pretty shortly thereafter. On a uh, he was uh, pressured from the right side, bowled out. Decided to carry the ball, made a nice move, but ended up hurting his knee. And so it's not a season-ending injury by any stretch unless there's any complications. Looks like just a, a bone bruise and a meniscus tear that will require minor surgery. So he'll be back around the beginning of the season. You know, the other Jets that I thought played pretty well was the third-string quarterback who basically saw no action. Uh, Chris Streveler is pretty athletic, and he looked good. He ended up winning the game for them. Uh, And I just would say overall, the pass rush unit looked really, really good throughout the game. Starters, backups, they were all getting a fair amount of pressure and and restricted the Philly offense once the starters were out pretty substantially. So, you know, that's what I would point to for the Jets right now. Not necessarily what you'd be hoping for from Zach Wilson, and that's going to be it for his preseason, which is less than fortunate. So, Let's go over to Seahawks against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay, so the Steelers, they started Mitch Trubisky, went to Mason Rudolph, and then closed out the game with their first-round pick, uh, Kenny Pickett. You know, honestly, I don't think any of them played, you know, particularly well, um, especially because when you had Pickett in there, he was going against the third stringers, and you would hope, you know, a top 20 pick would be able to to manage against third string players. It's interesting to see that they really did have him out there as their third string quarterback for a substantial amount of playing time. I think when you're really looking at that offense, there's not much I really feel like I can take away from that quarterback battle yet, aside from the fact that they did put Mitch Trubisky out there first. But you know who really, really popped offensively for that game? George Pickens, their second round receiver out of Georgia as a rookie man. He had a toe-tapping reception for uh, a touchdown in the back corner of the end zone, which was absolutely beautiful. And he had some other really, really nice plays as well. He fell a little bit due to injury, but he looked incredibly athletic. Leaping ability, speed, length, everything you would want from like a true X receiver. So I'm very interested to see what he looks like. The other quarterback battle for the Seahawks, that one is a little bit more interesting because I think everybody expects Kenny Pickett to be the guy at some point, right? You know, whether it's now, partway through the season, or next year, they know it's coming. But the Seahawks, they are genuinely trying to find out who their starting quarterback is. And their quarterback of the future, probably not on the roster at this point. And unfortunately for them, I don't think either of their quarterbacks looked very good at all. You know, Gino definitely was a little bit better as a passer, but he was scrambling out of the pocket 
out of like uh, clean pockets early and consistently. He looked like Geno Smith of old, like the exact player who was, you know, basically a, a lost cause with the Jets after being a second round pick, made his way around the league as a backup. And he just showed why he's a backup and why he really should never be anything more than that. You know, so it didn't really do anything to dispel what might be the worst quarterback situation in the NFL. Um, you know, because w- at least with the Panthers, you have a former first overall pick, a former third overall pick, and a third round rookie that are competing for an opportunity to play. Right with the the Seahawks, with the Seahawks, you got a decade long backup and a guy who washed out in, in Denver. You know, that was a second round pick. So, you know, not exactly what you'd be hoping for, and. Unfortunately, they just didn't really do anything to, to to change that narrative. For the Steelers, the running backs actually look surprisingly good, even though Najee Harris wasn't playing. Uh, Anthony McFarlane Jr. looked extremely elusive. And um, who remind me, Eric? Who was the other the other back that that was uh, that was running with a lot of power, with really good contact balance? I, the, his name escapes me off the top of my head. Um, so, um... Am I thinking of Warren or no? Am I thinking of somebody else? Yeah, yep, 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 yep. Jalen yep. Warren. Yep, exactly. He ha- he was running with really good contact balance. Not elusive in the same way, but, you know, he was shaking off tackles. And the Steelers looked like a much just better, more prepared team overall. And it didn't, there was really no comparison between the two. And I'm not saying that the Seahawks were just a, you know, complete disaster. But between the two, it, it, one looked like a team that's, you know, ready to play this season. And the other one looks like they notably need the next two preseason games to continue preparing. So those are my takeaways from the Steelers and the Seahawks. So Dave, you were actually live at the Titans versus the Ravens. So why don't you walk us through how that went for you? Sure. Yeah. Happy to do it. Yeah. We're coming at you live from Baltimore. So kind of like we've been talking about injuries, third stringers, I'm not going to put too much stock into the things we see in the preseason, kind of how players look. Obviously, it's more for the young guys, the rookies, to kind of get some action, to kind of get get a better sense of what their role might be or who they could turn into moving, as we move forward. Um, obviously, some quarterbacks we've talked about, like Kenny Pickett or Jalen Hurts for the Eagles, are going to be starters this season or expected to be starters, whereas the Titans and the Ravens really threw out their backups for the most, for pretty much the whole game. Um, Obviously Lamar Jackson with his contract situation, he sat out Tannehill and Derrick Henry, both. I don't even think I saw them in the building. So it was really the Malik show to start things off. Um, It was also kind of interesting to see they started Malik for the entire first half where he's kind of looked at as more of the long-term project, whereas Kenny Pickett, the first-round pick, seems to be being brought along more slowly. And it was, as you said, kind of had really good stats, went 13 for 15 with with two touchdowns against third stringers, whereas they, the Titans kind of, and Vrabel kind of threw Malik into the first quarter, second quarter, up against kind of the primary backups for the Ravens. So it was fun to kind of watch Malik play. His uh, dual threat nature and his mobility was on full display. 
it, he definitely showed flashes of kind of why a lot of scouts were really high on him and thought he might be a first round pick. To me, I definitely was impressed with his, I mean, obviously his mobility, but his presence outside the pocket and finding and navigating through running lanes, I think, and avoiding tacklers, I think was pretty impressive for his first start. He could use some work with his accuracy and in particular throwing outside the pocket and his accuracy while on the run was not great. I know that Mike Vrabel ultimately said after the game that he pulled Malik because he was looking to run too much and he wasn't throwing the ball and he wasn't being that decisive. So I know that's one thing that he needs to kind of mature into and get more confidence and kind of get more of that pocket presence and become more decisive in his reads. Because a lot of times when he was running outside the pocket, he would kind of lose sight of where he was in his progression and he would kind of just wing it and go into um, audible mode and kind of figure it out as he as he went and would often kind of revert to run the ball wherever he could go and kind of get some mm-hmm. yards. Um, a couple of other guys for the Titans who I kind of was keeping an eye on was uh, the left tackle Nicholas Petit Frere, who is our third round rookie tackle from Ohio State, um, who looked who looked good. I think that he's actually going to push. Nicholas Ray Dunes for the starting right tackle spot um, for this season, potentially another guy who looked really good was outside linebacker Rashad Weaver for the Titans. He was actually a standout in last year's preseason. So he's a second year player and he had a, he had a one big tackle for a loss, which was a really great tackle in opens in open space. So I think that he is going to be a big contributor as we move into the regular season, um, kind of backing up Bud Dupree and, Her- and Her- Harold Landry. So I think that they could be big contributors moving forward. As far as the Ravens go, two guys who I kind of noticed pretty significantly were receiver Shamar Bridges, who had a couple of big deep catches, who went up and over uh, Titans cornerbacks, had a one touchdown catch. And he had a couple other big physical catches downfield. And another one was their uh, fourth round tight end out of Coastal Carolina, Isaiah Likely, who I think is going to be a big contributor this season. He's going to take a lot of pressure off of Mark Andrews. So I think that I know that the Ravens are really excited about him. He did have two costly holding penalties. So I know he still has some work to do, but... So far, they're really liking from what they see in him and kind of what they think he might be able to contribute to the team's success this year, especially in the passing game, to help to give Lamar another weapon in the passing game besides Mark Andrews. So yeah, all in all, it was a pretty, I don't want to say uneventful game, but we we definitely fewer starters and fewer um, kind of first name players that we've kind of seen in some of these other games. So I'm not going to put too much stock into kind of how it played out, who went up against who and kind of how, how they looked, but kind of those are kind of my initial thoughts from being there, watching the game and kind of seeing it all play out. So, yeah. Hey, is, was a uh, Weaver number 42? Is that, is that who that is? Do you know? If um, Let me check. Cause I, I noticed him, but man, I think overall Willis considering what he was coming out, he played pretty well. I mean, his offense at Liberty was 
it, it's so far removed from what an NFL offense actually is. He's probably the most raw quarterback we've seen come out in a long time, you know, and it, there was speculation he'd go even higher. He ended up going in the third round, but, but compared to what he had to do at Liberty versus what he's asked to do for the Titans, it is a world of difference. And I thought he started a little sloppy. He settled in and he had some moments uh, that the two minute drive to close out the half was pretty ugly from the entire team, not just him, but Honestly, you know, because they weren't playing that many starters, I'm not totally surprised how it looked. The Ravens had a lot of guys coming back, including their backup quarterback, Tyler Huntley. I felt like he had a good overall game. He's a good backup for them, for sure. And look, Shamar Bridges had some really nice jump ball catches all over the field, honestly. But the player from that game was Isaiah Likely. Like He looked like an absolute stud. And you're right, he had a few penalties. He wasn't perfect. But in the receiving game, he looks like he is going to be a legitimate player in this league. Like, he he was probably the player that stood out to me watching that whole game. So, you know, when we're looking at the quarterbacks from these four games that we've gone over, I think far and away the one that played the best was Jalen Hurts, and it wasn't even close. And again, it's it's not just the stats. It's how he looked. It's the eye test for him. I was pretty unimpressed with, with Jordan Love considering how much time he had to try and find a rhythm. I didn't think that that was, you know, uh, a particularly good showing from him. You know, unfortunately, they're not relying on him to be the guy this year. Obviously, Zach Wilson was not at all what you wanted to see, you know, an interception, an errant pass, and an injury. It's, like, it's about as bad as you can get from, you know, a drive and a half. So and that's unfortunate. And then, again, I just I want to bring it back to Brock Purdy. Like, as, as what he was, like, it, coming in as a seventh-round draft pick, I was genuinely impressed. I really was. And And, again, he doesn't have the physical tools of these other guys, but he looked more comfortable than any other rookie quarterback or even most of the second-year quarterbacks that I saw. So those are my thoughts on the games, guys. Anything else you want to throw out there? I'll throw it to you, Eric, first. Anything that you saw that you wanted to mention? Yeah, I actually wanted to bring up two questions as well and maybe some discussion points. I know, again, it's getting late here, so we'll make it quick. But, I, I again, being from the Pennsylvania area, you know, there's a lot of Steeler, Steeler fans around me as well, and I've been hearing a lot of, oh, it's Mitch Trubisky versus... Kenny Pickett, all training camp, you know, it's who's going to take that, that, uh, that number one spot. And the fact that he came out as a third string to for preseason game one, that, that was a little, uh, not concerning, but just mind boggling, I guess, when I've been hearing reports that it's always Kenny Pickett versus Mitch Trubisky. And, you know, so I, I was curious to get your guys' thoughts on why exactly he came out as a third, the third string. Well, my, my take on that is that I think, you know, Tomlin is a little bit old school. So rookies always last on the depth chart when it comes to stuff like that. And it's more of a mentality than necessarily how they play. And look, Mason Rudolph has been there for a few years. He started the majority of a season for them when Ben was down. So I think it's just a respect thing. But to be honest, Mason Rudolph Rudolph didn't play very well in that game. Yeah, I, I, was I think say, he probably... I played the worst out of the three in in my opinion so yeah I mean we've we've seen what he is I mean he's going against a tough a tough division you know Super Bowl 
Super Bowl uh, runner-up last year, Bengals. You got Lamar Jackson. You know they're going to put up points in that in that division. So I don't know. Maybe yeah. to me it's just a little weird. But like you said, maybe it's just an old school type of type of thing. I, that's what I think it was. And maybe maybe Rudolph has looked better in camp, but in live action didn't necessarily feel that way to me. And then the last thing I want to bring up as well is Isaiah likely a fantasy sleeper. <laughs> Dave, I want to leave this one for you. Um, so I would say that he could be a deep, deep uh, round stash for sure. It obviously depends on kind of how the Ravens offense looks kind of as we move into the season, whether or not they're going to try to revert back to the 2019 Ravens who what, had the second most rushing yards in the history of the NFL. And also depends on kind of how many snaps and how many reps he's expected to get with such a perennial pro bowler um, Mark Andrews level tight end in front of him. But as we know, the Ravens run plenty of two tight end sets. They run plenty of jumbo. So I think there's going to be plenty of chances for him to hit the field. And I think that he could be a good 13th, 14th round stash in anybody's fantasy league. So keep an eye out for Isaiah likely. I would say I agree with you too, Eric. You guys are welcome. (laughs) <laughs> yeah look uh honestly i was i was incredibly impressed with what he did the the one thing i'll say is that even though they run a lot of two tight end sets they usually like to have their one blocker and their their one receiving tight end and they've kind of got those guys really well established so if you haven't already done your rookie draft for your dynasty team get him like go for it because he's going to he's going to be an impact player at some point if you're looking at a traditional fantasy draft this year i agree with dave somewhere in the very late rounds you might want to snap him up because an injury to either one of their their tight ends their starters uh will put him out there and considering their receiver situation whoever is a starting tight end for them is probably going to get a lot of looks in the passing game so for sure he's a guy that you want to keep your eye on all right guys thanks so much for joining me this was our our first you know, trial run for recapping some games. We're going to do it again next week uh, for the preseason week two. We're going to take a little break and get some other segments in before we dive into the season full force. So before we get out of here, I want to give you guys a chance to shout out your social media to everybody. Um, Eric, you want to go first? Let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah, guys, follow me at the real hitcher on Twitter. I'll be posting, uh, a lot of live tweeting during the season as I'm an Eagles fan. So you'll be seeing a lot of live tweets for the Eagles, but uh, hopefully to be more active on there as well. Right on. And Dave, how about you? Yeah. If you guys want to follow me on Twitter at Dave Guberman, if you want to follow me on Instagram or TikTok as well, I'm at D-A-G-U-B-E-R-M. And my Twitter account's also going to be getting a lot more active and kind of a lot more, Um, football content coming on there once we kick off the regular season so keep an eye out all right guys so we'll see you both very soon and have a good night get some rest sorry to keep you up so late thanks max appreciate it and i told you we sat down in that room and i said hey you're gonna be the greatest receiver ever do this i told you all of my critics i told you all that I was the greatest of all time. I don't suck compared to you. Like, you, you suck compared to me. All right, to help me cover 
the preseason games, which we're not going to in greater depth, I have with me again, Kyron Samuels. Kyron is a writer for Gridiron Heroics. He covers Alabama, Jacksonville State, and the Dolphins. And of course, he was a guard at Jacksonville State, where they went to three straight conference championships, uh, spent some time in the AFL with the Baltimore Brigade and the Tampa Bay Storm at center as well. So we have some experience here to talk about some legit preseason action. Kyron, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Good to be back. Right on. So let's dive right into it. Preseason is here. We've seen some performers. We've seen some injuries, unfortunately, some bigger than others. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to take away a ton from the preseason. I usually have a few specific places I look. You know, I like to see how the quarterbacks manage the game situations, if they settle in. I like to see if pass rushers can get home because that's something I feel like you can take away a little bit. A lot of the other stuff is more challenging because it's, it's really a collective unit. So why don't you tell me what you saw from the games that you watched and some of your top performers? Yeah, man, uh, I like to start with the Cleveland Browns and Jacksonville Jaguars game. Uh, that was the first game I got to watch. Obviously, all odds were on Deshaun and all that stuff, but, um, you know, he only played two series, so we did get a ton out of him. But when Josh Dobbs came in, you saw the offense settle down. You saw the offense get to moving and start to score some points. Um, he went 10 for 13, 108 yards and a touchdown. Um, really, really showed why he's still in the NFL, why everybody is uh, chomping at the bit to get a guy like that on his team. He's bounced around a little bit, but hes I feel like he's going to have a place in the NFL for a long time simply because he's going to be the smartest guy in the room. Um, he's demonstrated he can uh, extend plays with his feet, get out of the pocket and make something happen, and he's just on time. So he really impressed me with his play in that game. Also, Jerome Ford, the rookie out of Cincinnati, had an incredible game. He did have a fumble. We have to address that. But he had 14 carries, over 100 yards, and two touchdowns. Um, just the way he was able to show this, his burst and his wiggle and his his movement, I was really, really impressed with that um, because 14 touches is, is is not a ton of touches. So for you to go over 100 all-purpose yards with those 14 touches is pretty impressive in the NFL, even if it is just preseason. So um, that was impressive. And then Martin Emerson Jr., uh, rookie out of Mississippi State, flashed a lot on the field. He only had about three or four tackles, but he all of them were big plays. He had a pick six, which really like vaulted them um, offensively, gave them a little bit of break so they could just get into the offense and run. When you have your defense scoring points for you, making plays, it's a lot easier to get out there and settle down and run your plays offense. So he helped the team out tremendously. So that was impressive. Um, obviously, the big injury news is the center, Nick Harris. Uh, he was the replacement for J.C. Treader, and they loved him. They've been grooming him for years and had very, very high hopes for him. So to see him go down on the second play of the preseason game is it, very, very disheartening. And, you know, they'll probably get J.C. Treader on the horn here, their former center, when they were the best offensive line of football. He's still a free agent. Um, he's still looking for a place to play. You got to uh, suspect him. So be looking at the – Bucks, the Dolphins, and the Browns. Presumably, the Browns would be the best fit because he's been there for all these years. But uh, it seems like it's a bidding war right now, and we'll see who the highest bidder is at the end of this. But that was the big injury news from that game. Um, the second game I want to get into is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Miami Dolphins. Um, you know, we didn't get to see Tua. Obviously, Brady's not with the team right now. This game was pretty much all backups for, for both teams. <laughs> I mean, the depth chart, um, the guys that weren't going to play, the, 
for both teams was over 17 starters. So that lets you know how much they wanted to evaluate and get people out there. And for the most part, both quarterbacks played very well. Uh, Skylar Thompson went 20 for 28, 218 yards and a touchdown. Kyle Trask went 25 for 33 for 258 yards and a touchdown. He also had an interception, but that was a freak interception. I mean, it literally bounced off the running back's hand, and the DB kicked it up in the air, and it happened to fall in between his legs. I don't really put that one on him. So for the most part, he took care of the ball very, very well. Um, This game was very interesting because it started off very, very good for Tampa Bay and then finished very, very good for for Miami. I think um, Lynn Bowden Jr. showed a lot coming back off injury. Uh, He had three catches for 55 yards and a touchdown. Um, Tyler Johnson showed a lot for the Bucks. He had six catches for 73 yards. Um, Verone McKinley on the defense for the Miami. He's an undrafted free agent, was an All-American out of uh, Oregon. Um, a lot of people couldn't believe he went undrafted. So a lot of people think it's a steal for the Dolphins. He had six tackles, fought off blocks, you know, did a very good job. And it's very impressive for a rookie safety, especially the undrafted guy, to get out there and look very comfortable. You know, the safety job is to get everybody lined up. I mean, everybody thinks it's the linebacker's job, but the safety is orchestrating the DBs. So make sure everybody's lined up, make sure everybody's in the right coverage, everybody knows their responsibility. And for him to play essentially the last three quarters of the game and look comfortable, not look out of place, um, not miss – there was no clear visible bus. You know, we're not in the room with them, so we don't know for sure. (laughs) But no clear visible bus, and to be just a sure tackler was very, very, very impressive. Um, Channing Tindall, rookie out of Georgia, he looked pretty good in his time as well. And a veteran, he's been around for a while now. Duke Riley also stood out to me on the Dolphins' defense. Um, guy that, you know, that kind of impressed me a little bit was Blaine Gabbard as well. I mean, if Tom Brady is going to – this might be his last year. We don't know how this is going to shake out. He played well enough to where you got to consider a guy like him. Like, if Brady goes down for any significant injury or he's not able to play in the future, Blaine Gabbard, I think he's earned – one more shot at being, you know, a starting quarterback, maybe. But he looks very, very good, very, very sharp in this offense. And um, no serious, significant injury news out of that out of that game. But it was a very good game, and I think both coaches have a lot to be excited about. Um, hopefully we get to see more of the Dolphins, and we get to see, you know, Tua, Tyreek, and Jalen Waddle, and those guys get out there and get going pretty soon. But uh, moving on to the Los Angeles Rams and the Los Angeles Chargers, um, that was a, a pretty interesting inside the game. Came down to the wire. Uh, first guy that jumped off the screen was Bryce Perkins. I mean, he made a lot of plays as a quarterback. He went 10 for 17, 133 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, also had eight rushes for 39 yards and a touchdown. He looked pretty dang good, man. I mean, you know, the starters weren't playing on the offensive line, so it's guys that are backups and, and third-string guys and guys just fighting to get their skin in the game here in the NFL. So he was running around a lot, but he extended plays. He's making plays on the run, and, you know, just very, very impressed with him. Um, also, another guy that jumped off the screen, made some crazy plays, was wide receiver Lance McCutcheon from Montana State. I mean, the guy was incredible last night. He had six catches for 87 yards and two touchdowns, and one of the touchdowns is one of the craziest plays I've ever seen. It'll probably be on SportsCenter Top 10, number one, or, you know, it'll be high up there, but he played very, very, very well last night. Um, getting to the Chargers. Easton Stick, man. Easton Stick and Chase Daniel, both of the quarterbacks looked very good. Easton Stick went 16 for 23, had 119 yards, and Chase Daniel went 11 for 17, 117 yards, and two touchdowns. He looked pretty good, man. I mean, both guys 
Chase Daniel showed you why he's been around for this long. <laughs> I mean, he's been around. He's made $42 million as a backup quarterback, the best job in football. Um, <laughs> and, you, and you saw why, because, you know, he got in there. He knew it. He knew how to get people lined up. The timing looked very good. He was getting the ball out on, on time. I mean, he just looks like a professional. Um, is he the guy? Is he ever going to be the guy? Obviously not. But he showed you why he's had a place in this NFL for this long. And Easton Stick, in my opinion, showed why he's going to be around for that long as well. He got in, and, and they didn't miss a beat. They looked very good. Um, Easton Stick had control of the offense. I think that he can improve a little bit on his timing and just his, his command. You know, you can see it. I don't know if everybody can see it, but I can see the difference when the guy's out there and he's thinking too much. He's trying to get everybody lined up. He's trying to think about what he has to do, and he's thinking too much. If he had the same command and presence Chase Daniel did and just sure himself, getting guys lined up and know what he has to do, I think that he would take that second quarterback job from him. Um, but, you know, like I said, that comes with time and experience, which he's getting in the preseason, which is why it's so valuable for quarterbacks. Um Isaiah Spiller, rookie out of Texas a I thought he played pretty pretty well. He only had 10 carries for 34 yards, but if you watch the game, those were tough, hard-nosed yards that they needed. He helped them go forward. He never had a negative rush. So people don't realize how important it is to go from second and seven to third and three, or from first and 10 to second and seven, or second and six. Those are very valuable, important yards. And like I said, wasn't behind the number one offensive line, so you figure when you get the, the guys in there, he can look even better. Um, another guy that jumped out on my screen was rookie Jamar, Jamari Salyer. He was a six-round pick out of the University of Georgia. Um, during the season, he was getting late first-round, second-round projections. But from what I have been told, his medicals were a little fishy. He had a shoulder injury. He had some stuff that people were a little iffy about. And then you know how the injury process can play into your draft stock. So, Glad to see him get out there, and he played very, very well. Um, he, he, in my opinion, him and Isaiah Spiller are one of the steals of the draft. And getting those guys in the fourth and sixth round, respectively, is incredible. Um, Jamari looked great, though. He got beat on a spin move in the third quarter. But other than that, he looked incredible in the run blocking. Incredible. I mean, he's moving people. He's pulling. He's uh, taking solo blocks. The double teams were getting moved. He looked great coming off on the second level. Um, the pass pro was very solid. Like I said, he got beat on a spin move in the third, but I mean, it's NFL pass rushers are great. So you're going to see a player every now and then, but overall he looked really, really good. And I think that he may work his way into the starting lineup eventually. I think he did that, that good. Um, another guy that jumped off my screen was, uh, Chris Rump for the defense. He had two sacks in the first half. I mean, his pass rushing ability as an interior guy, is, is incredible. I think he's going to find his way onto the field a lot this year. And another guy that jumped off my screen was Braden Fioco, um, third guy, third-year guy out of LSU. Um, he is arguably the most underrated run stopper in the game right now. Uh, you know, the advanced analytics guys last year, you know, I'm not too big into those because I like to look at what I'm watching. You know, some of those advanced analytics don't really match up to football play, but he was the number one run stopper in the NFL last year. Um, so you should see an increased role for him this year. Um, he he fought off double teams very well, made plays in the backfield, pushed the pocket and pass pro a bit. Um, just show why he's a guy that's going to, you know, find himself in the normal rotation for this team. I think that there was no big injuries in those games either. The guys that are either already injured or um, too valuable to get injured didn't play. 
So there was no valuable uh, injury news from there. But those are the guys that jumped off my screen and left off my screen for those games. And looking forward to getting some more preseason action here soon and probably get back with you here soon. Yeah, Kyron, I appreciate it so much. You have no idea how valuable your insight is because when you're watching preseason, right, anybody can see a wide receiver make a big play, you know, and the stats, they don't tell the whole story, but they're there and available for us all to see. And I am certainly not on your level with offensive line play. And to be perfectly honest, to really have any kind of grasp on it at all whatsoever, I have to see the all 22. Like I need that end zone cam, or I just, I, I can't see well enough what's going on. I don't have the nuance. So getting your input, especially on that offensive and defensive line uh, nuance, when we don't have the opportunity to see that all 22 is so, so helpful. So thank you so much, Kyron. Remind everybody, if you would, where they can find you on social media and elsewhere. Um, just at Kyron Samuels, K-Y-R-O-N-S-A-M-U-E-L-S on all socials. And uh, that's pretty much it, man. You can find me tweeting. I pretty much, I'm very interactive with people on Twitter and uh, social media. So, you know, you want to debate or just come hang out and talk some ball. You know, we do a lot of Twitter spaces. Hopefully we'll get some kicked off with gridiron here soon, but, it's fun, man. Just come follow me on socials, and, you know, we'll talk about this stuff every day. I love talking about football. It's been my life since I was a kid, so I plan on continuing to make it my life. Right on. Karen. thanks again, and we will see you very soon. No problem, man. A big thanks to everyone who listened all the way through with us today. Remember, we are available anywhere podcasts can be found, and a rating and review help us quite a bit. I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And this Wednesday, we're going to jump right into the NFC South for another edition of our divisional preview series. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all very soon.